Welcome to Grace. Every weekend, I hear people say, hey, it's my first weekend back for a year. And so I want to say, we're glad you're back. And if you're online, we're glad you're here too. And we're going to continue in our series in the book of Colossians. And we're still in chapter number one. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to be looking at starting in chapter one, verse nine in just a minute. But uh, I just, I just uh, am excited about today, excited about what Paul has for us today uh, as he wrote this book to the, to the Colossian, Colossian church. And so today we're going to eavesdrop on a prayer that Paul prayed for believers at Colossae. And here's the deal. What Paul is praying for is for them to grow into maturity in their Christian faith. So what we're going to look at is four marks of maturity. So what I want you to do is that I don't want you to judge anybody else. I don't want you to think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. I want you to look into your own life, and I want you to ask the question, are these things true of me? Am I growing in these four areas? So whatever a person prays about is what's on their heart, and this is what Paul prays. So we're going to begin in verse number 9, and this is what it says. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Paul had never been to this city and uh, he heard about their conversion, and uh, he is just excited about it, and he begins this immense prayer for them. And there are four things that Paul prayed about, which gives us an insight into what Paul really wanted for these believers. It's a real insight. So these are four markers of maturity, and I'm going, if I'm growing in Jesus, these are the things that should be in my life. If I am actually growing in Jesus, these are the things that I should be growing in. If I'm considering myself a mature believer. But here's the problem. This is what I've discovered, and maybe you have too, is that I think there are a lot of people who believe on Jesus, but there are very few people who are actually maturing in their faith. Yes? Maybe so? And so my prayer, that's not true of all you. Of course it's not, because you're here. And it's not true of you, on, you know, they're watching at home because you're watching. But here's the thing. I've just discovered that there is a lot of shallow faith in Christianity to, today. And it's because there's some things that we don't understand. And hopefully today will be of help to you as you learn to grow in Jesus. So here are the four markers. First number, the, the first one, number one, is a desire to know and to do God's will. A desire to know and do God's will. And I don't mean just casually. I mean all in, chips all in, saying, you know what? I want to grow. I want to know God. I want to grow. I want to know his will. I want to grow in him in every way possible. And I'm gonna, it doesn't matter what I have to pay to do that. I'm willing to grow in Jesus Christ. And uh, so I hope that's a marker in your life, that you have this passion, this heart that beats after God, and that you want to know his will, and you just want to do it. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That becomes then a heartbeat for the life of the believer. So we see this in Paul in verse 9. He says, we ask God to give you, speaking of the, he's speaking to God, speaking of the Colossian believers, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now notice why. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Oh, that's an interesting phrase. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. The result will be is that you'll walk, if you, are, if you are having this intense desire to walk in God's ways, to know his will and to do his will, here's the reality, is that you will walk a walk that is worthy of the Lord. That will be what's happening in your life. So what does it mean to walk a walk that's worthy of the Lord? What does that mean? 
Well, one thing I know it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean perfection because none of us would ever get there, right? No one's here is without sin. Your life, my life, we're all broken people. And the reality is, is we have this new standing in Jesus. It's an amazing thing. But practically speaking, we all still struggle with just the idea of obeying God sometimes, right? Yes? And so it can't mean perfection. That's what it can't mean. So if it can't mean perfection, what does it mean? Most importantly, it means to be in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus. The text says that. First and foremost, it means that if I'm going to want to know God's will and do it, I've got to be in this fruit-bearing relationship. I'm going to walk worthy of the Lord. I need to be in this fruit-bearing relationship with Jesus like it's described in John 15. If you abide in me and I in you, you shall bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's, a, it's the idea of being in this fruit-bearing relationship to him. Paul tells the Ephesians exactly what it means. So if you look at the book of Ephesians and you look at the book of Colossians, you'll notice that they are very similar letters. There are things that are repeated in both letters. And so we're going to go to the book of Ephesians here for a second. And let me show you what Paul says to the, the, the Christians at Ephesus. Verse 1 says, Therefore I, speaking of Paul, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life, there's this phrase again, worthy of your calling. Stop there for just a second. How many of you know that if you are a child of God, you are called to that? You have a calling from God. It's not just a decision. It's not just a casual thing. You are called to walk a life that's worthy unto God, if indeed you have crossed that line of faith. So he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So there's a lot of things it means to walk worthy of the Lord, but I think there are three things that Paul says here that are absolutely essential. First of all, if I'm going to walk worthy of the Lord, I have got to walk in humility. I've got to walk in humility. If you were to look at the number one characteristic, I believe, of what it means to follow Jesus, it would be this. In Philippians chapter two, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be held onto, but he emptied himself and became obedient. There's that humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying humble and be, always be humble and gentle. So the first concept would be humility. The second concept would be gentle. Gentleness. And what, what does that mean? Gentleness isn't, me, isn't the idea of being, of being just timid. Gentleness is the idea of having the power of God in your life, but using it with discretion. That's gentleness. It is using the power of God with the idea of discretion. Power under control, literally, is what the word means. And then the third element that I see right out of this text is the idea of forgiving one another. So I walk in these three ways. I walk in humility, I walk in gentleness, and I walk in, in forgiveness to other believers. So when you think about that, in the, in the Greek-Roman world, the Greco-Roman world, at Paul's day, humility was not necessarily a trait that everyone wanted. In fact, it was despised. It was looked down on. It was looked at as, as weakness. And in our culture today, it's probably no different. People see humble people as weak people, but that is not the case at all. You know, God does this inversion, and he changes things up, and so humility becomes this amazing thing in our lives. So what is humility? 
So humility is not looking down on yourself. It's not self-depreciating. It's not, it's not saying, woe is me, I'm nothing. That's not what humility is. Humility is seeing yourself in light of God. It's seeing yourself as God sees you. No more and no less. Humility doesn't deny your talents, your abilities, your capabilities. It doesn't deny you as a person. It doesn't deny any of those things. It just causes you to put that in perspective with God. That's what humility is. Humility is the idea of emptying myself of my rights and filling myself with God. That's the idea of humility. One of the best stories of humility that I've ever read is uh, this story, the following story, and it happened in 1953. There was a man who arrived in, in, on a train in Chicago in 1953. That was the year that I was born. And uh, he was there to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. So he gets off the train, and as he gets off the train, the cameras are flashing, city officials approached him with hands outstretched, and, and they wanted to meet him. And, and as he does that, he is very polite to them. He thanks them all for, for their, their reception, and then he asks to be excused. And so he walked through the crowd to, a, to, to the side of an elderly black woman struggling with two large suitcases. He picked them up, he carried them to the bus that she was trying to catch, and he helped her get on, and he helped her get her luggage where it was supposed to be, and then he walked off the bus, and uh, that man, his name was Albert Schweitzer. And if you know anything about him, uh, he, he, he was an amazing man. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a second. But he turned to the crowd, apologized for the delay in keeping them waiting, and uh, here's who he was. He was a theologian. He was an amazing theologian. He was a medical doctor that gave his life to serving African people, lived in Africa. He gave the prize money, 1953, he gave all the prize money for winning the Nobel Peace Prize. It was $33,000 in 1953. $33,000 in 1953 is a six-figure income minimally in the culture that we live. He gave it all away to a leper colony who were struggling to get medical supplies and food, and, and, and that's who he was. And that is probably one of the best stories of what I think humility is. It's here's a guy of great stature who empties himself of the right to be regarded as great, and he just serves poor people. He, he just serves them. That is, that is the idea of humility. And that's the idea, idea that God wants. That should be the normal way, not the abnormal way. That should be the normal way that Christians should live their life in this kind of humility. This is the kind of calling that you and I have. So the first mark of maturity, the first mark of maturity is the idea that I am going to, I want with all my heart to know and do God's will I have the idea that I want to live a life that is worthy of the calling that God has given me. The second, how are we doing so far, by the way? We having fun yet? All right, good. You're my favorite service because you're so responsive. Don't tell any of the other services that I said that to them. So here's the thing. The second mark, the second mark of maturity is the desire to increase in my knowledge of God. So one is to know God's will and do it. Now, now a mark of maturity is I want, I need to understand that there's no way that I could fully know God in a thousand lifetimes on planet earth, right? Do you all understand that? So the idea here is a desire, a thirst to increase my knowledge for God. Verse 10 says, all the while you grow as you learn to know God better and better. Now not mark this down. There is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. 
So when I went to seminary, I learned a lot of facts about God. I learned about God. But it didn't necessarily help me to know God. There is a vast difference between those two, those two events. I'm not suggesting that knowing about God isn't important. What I'm suggesting is knowing God is the most important thing in your life. Knowing him and not just about him. So let me see if I can unpack it for you this way. Before I got married to my wife Judy, uh, here's the bottom line, is that she, she knew all about me. And of course, I put my best foot forward. I didn't tell her any of the bad stuff. You know, when I was courting her and dating her, I didn't say, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, I snore a bit, okay? I'm just, I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't put that on the resume. I didn't say, oh, by the way, sometimes I'm impatient in traffic. I didn't say any of that stuff to her when I was dating her. I just put the good stuff out there, and, you know, because I was trying to win her. I, was, I, wanted her to be, I wanted her to be my wife. So, you know, the bottom line is, is you're all staring at me like that was wrong. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that's how it works out. Is that when you're dating somebody, you don't normally say, hey, let me tell you everything bad about me because I'm trying to discourage you to be in a relationship. That's not what, you know, you try to impress them. So that's what I did, and I won her over. We got married. But here today, we've been married 46 years, and here, I, I'm going to tell you honestly, she knows me now. And I'm mar I marvel at the fact that she still stayed married to me. I mean, I really am. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. I'm just saying, it's a miracle of God because she knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. She knows everything about me, and she knows how I'm going to react. She knows what makes me angry. She knows how I'm going to react. Even before I react, she can predict my reaction. It drives me crazy. I'm just saying, it drives me crazy because she knows me that well. She can know what I'm going to say. She finishes my sentences sometimes, and uh, she, she doesn't know about me. She knows me, and that's God's desire for you. God's desire is for you to know how he reacts, to know what makes him happy, to, want, to know what makes him sad, to know what makes him angry. That's what it means to know God, is to know his reaction to know how he'll, how he'll respond in every, any given circumstance, that means that you know God, and that takes a relationship. That takes not just reading your Bible, although that's a start. It takes a desire in your heart, a commitment in your soul to just want to know who God is, to study God, to love him, to know, to know how to be in relationship to this living God. That's the mark number two. So how are we doing so far? Now, we're not judging anybody else. We're just judging our own lives, right? We're looking at the markers of what it means to be mature in the faith. Third marker is a desire to experience God's power. That's the third marker. Verse 11 says, We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all of his glorious power. Stop there. How many want to have God's power in their life? Anybody here? Raise your hand really high. Well, I got some good news and some bad news for you. You may not like it after I explain to you what knowing God literally means. Knowing his power literally means. So let's read the verse on. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power. So you, so that, here's a so that phrase. So that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. So the, the mark, I, forgot, I should, probably should have read that verse all the way through before I asked you if you wanted to know God's power. Because the mark, the mark of somebody who knows God's power, listen to this very good, this is great stuff. The mark of someone who knows God's power is endurance and patience. 
That's the mark of the power of God inside of your life. It's not necessarily a supernatural thing. Uh, it is the mark of endurance on my life. So let's talk about those things. So what does it mean to endure? Endurance comes from a compound Greek word, hupo, which literally means under, and meno, to remain. Literally, it means to remain under pressure, under testing, under trials. The evidence of the power of God in your life is that you remain under difficult circumstances. You don't crumble. You stay steadfast in your faith towards God. That's the power of God. And here's the reality. It's hard work. It's very difficult because in my life, I'm just going to be honest with you, I get more prayers not answered than answered. So just in case you wanted me to pray for you, I just wanted to give you that information. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I get a lot more prayers that go unanswered then I actually get prayers that, well, he answers everything. It's either a yes, no, or wait. But I'm telling you, honestly, most of my prayers are wait or no. And so I'm just saying, to, to live with your, your life with Christ, to live in endurance means that under pressure, under stress, you don't give up. You don't blow out in the Christian faith. And I'm just telling you, as I have, have, as I have pastored for a long time, I've just watched a lot of people who blow out of the Christian faith because some difficult times happen and they say, I wasn't counting on this. I thought it was just gonna be a bed of roses. I just wanted to have all my sins forgiven. I just wanted to live in this glorious, this glorious state of bless, you know, being blessed. But the truth is, is that that is not planet Earth. Planet Earth has struggles and trials and temptations and the idea of endurance is the idea of living in spite of those things, with your eyes fixed on Jesus and not wavering in any way, shape, or form. That's the idea of endurance. And then, just when you think it couldn't get any better than that, then we have the idea of, of, of patience. Patience is the capacity to accept uh, or tolerate delay or trouble. That's the idea of patience. It's the idea of accepting the fact that God says, wait, I'm not going to answer your question. That's the idea. And so it is such a powerful concept. Waiting is not just, this is what Ben Patterson says, waiting is not just the thing we do until we get what we hope for. But listen to this. Waiting is the process of becoming what we hope for. That's patience. God says no, and the reason God says no is because what God is doing in you is greater than what he's gonna do for you. Let me say that one more time. What God is gonna do in you is greater than what, is, what God is gonna do for you. And that's the idea of the power of God. So how do I know I'm experiencing the power of God? How do I know that? Because I have endurance and patience in my life. So while you wait for what you hope for, this is what your goal should be, to allow God to accomplish the thing for which he hopes for, which is far different than what you hoped for. You get that? It's pretty good stuff. That is the power of God in action, and it is the mark of the maturing believer. The maturing believer doesn't have to have all their prayers answered. Just doesn't, because they're waiting on God. That's the mature mark of the believer. The fourth mark of maturity is a desire to grow in joy and gratitude. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This is an area that I am working on in my own personal life. To grow in the area of gratitude and joy in the midst of difficult circumstances is not easily accomplished. 
And uh, oftentimes, this is what I've discovered, the people that have it sometimes are annoying. <laughs> Come on, let's just be real. This is church, we can be honest. Don't you have people in your life that are so joyous all the time that you're just going, you're scratching your head and going, just shut up. Come on. It can't be that, life can't be that good. You know, you just got bad news and you're saying, thank you, Jesus. And I'm going, come on, this, I don't know about that. And so I, I'm just being honest and real here. This is, this is my, my kind of faith. And, uh, I, you know, we have a guy here on staff that I love him dearly. He's not annoying to me. And uh, he's on our janitorial staff. His name is John. And I'm telling you, he never, I've never seen him without a smile on his face. Even through his mask. I mean, I can look at his, he's smiling through his mask. And I'm going, you're going to rip that, dude. Come on, stop that. We don't have enough masks to, you know, to keep replacing this because you're smiling so much. And, you know, that's the kind of joy that I wish that I had. I hope that you wish to do. But it is the idea. How do I know I am growing in maturity? Is that I'm learning to find joy in every circumstance in my life. I'm learning to be thankful and, and have gratitude for everything that God has done or doesn't do. And there's a great example of um, this in, the, in, in history of somebody who learned how to do this. His name was John Wesley. Ever heard of John Wesley? Wesley University, Wesleyan University. You know, it's amazing, amazing man of faith. When he was about 21 years old, he was an amazing man of faith. In fact, he went to Oxford University and he came from a Christian home. He was smart and he was good looking, but he was arrogant. I mean, that's just, I'm just telling the honest truth about Wesley. Yet in those days, uh, not only was he arrogant, he was sarcastic. So one night, 21 years old, one night he happened to be uh, in a location where they were handling baggage and, and uh, he was speaking to a porter. That's, you know, that's what they do. And he was speaking to a porter and he discovered this guy had one coat, lived in impoverished circumstances and didn't even have a bed. So as any mature man of faith would do, he started making fun of the guy. This is John Wesley. This is John Wesley. He's making fun of the guy and in a very sarcastic moment, he says, and what else do you thank God for? After the guy tells him he has no bed, and what, what else do you thank God for? And with a touch of, you know, just bitter sarcasm, he just bites at this guy and mocks him and makes fun. And the porter smiled in the spirit of meekness and replied with joy. And he says, I thank him that he's given me a life of being and a heart of love and above all, a constant desire to serve him. That's what I thank God for. Deeply moved, Wesley writes about this event. This was life transforming for him. When he heard this guy at 21 years old, he recognized that he might not know God as as, as, as well as he thinks he does. And he went on a journey and became this amazing man of faith that really, in many ways, he was shaped by this idea right here. So one of the marks of maturity is learning to be thankful and grateful in every circumstance and to have the joy of the Lord no matter what comes your way. So then we come to the last three verses of our text this morning. So we're gonna pick them apart. Verse 11 says... May you, not the person sitting next to you, I'm talking, God's talking to you, may you be filled with joy, always, always thanking the Father. May you, you know what the word you means in the Greek? It means you. It just simply said, it just means you. Not, not your, your husband, your wife, your children, it means you. 
Be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. You know what the Greek word for always is here? It's, it means always. Always, in every circumstance, I'm to, I'm to give thanks and to have joy in my life. Why? What is the source of joy in thanksgiving? There are three things. There are three, there are three things that produce thanksgiving in our life. And there are things that all of us here today have if we know Jesus. First of all, let's look at the verse. He says, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. So the key word here is inheritance. So here's what we all share in common. This is what we all don't deserve but we get. In spite of who we are, this is amazing truth. It is a, it's just life-changing truth. I have, at the end of this life, an inheritance waiting for me that cannot waver. That is just so good. So whatever I'm going through right now, whatever it is in this planet, there's an inheritance waiting for me that I'll enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. So this is what I want to say to you. If you're struggling right now with something, if you are going through depression, if you're going through anxiety, if you're going through anything in your life that is just ugly, I'm going to tell you, listen to me carefully, in light of eternity, this is a very temporary circumstance for your life. Because if you put it in the light of eternity, this is just a blip on the screen. And I have an inheritance, and you have an inheritance that is waiting for us, that I cannot behold, that ear can't hear, that God is preparing for those who love him. That is so amazing, over-the-top amazing, when you begin to think about that. So why should I have joy? Because what's at the end for me? That's why I should have joy. Why should I give thanks to the Father in the midst of my circumstances? Because I know it's temporary and I know that my Father, that Jesus said, he goes and prepares a place for me and he's gonna return unto, unto us and receive us unto himself. So it's inheritance. Then we go on and we read this. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred, formed, or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So I want you to notice this is so such beautiful language here. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom. What is the key word here? It's the idea, now God has given me purpose to live for. Not only do I have an inheritance, but now I have a purpose to live for that's bigger than myself. And he's transferred me into this new kingdom. And one, rep, one is represented by darkness, there's great language here. And the other is represented by light. I have this new purpose. And I'm going to tell you something. When people lose purpose, they lose hope. When they lose hope, the game is over. Purpose is really an important element of knowing what you're here on this planet for. And now I just want to talk to the people that are 60 years old and better than 60. Okay, so everybody else can tune me out for just the next 30 seconds. I want to talk to people that are 60 years old and above. Listen to me very carefully. Do not miss what I'm going to say. Your purpose in life is not retirement. It is not retirement. Your purpose in life is the kingdom of God. For all the days that you have breath, for all the days that you have life, God wants you to serve in his kingdom forever and ever and ever until he comes back and to not settle for what the world offers. The world offers retirement. Jesus offers purpose. You choose. And I'm going to tell you, I choose, I choose purpose. That's what I choose. It's so good. Then we go on in the text. 
who purchased, us, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So why should I be thankful and joyous? Not only do I have an inheritance, not only do I have purpose in my life, but now I discover that all of my sins, not in part, but all of my sins, all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been wiped, wiped clean. And that I walk in this forgiveness that is, that is mine and mine alone because God has purchased my freedom on the cross for me. And so I walk in this joy of knowing that I will never have to give an account for my sins because Jesus already has done that on my behalf. That, that is why I learned to grow in thankfulness is because of the idea that what, how much better could it be to have inheritance and purpose and forgiveness. How much better could it be? So let's just kind of take a step back as we think about the end of the service and having you run out of here like a herd of turtles. Let me just remind you of four things. To be a maturing Christian means that number one, I have a deep desire to know and to do God's will. Does that describe you? I have a deep desire to know and to do God's will. Secondly, I have a deep desire to increase my knowledge of God. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. And thirdly, I have a deep desire to experience God's power as evidenced by my endurance and patience in life. And then I have a desire to grow in joy and gratitude. And if these marks be on you, listen to me carefully, you are already walking in a worthy manner of Jesus. You are already walking worthy of the calling that God has given to you. This is such a rich section of scripture. I hope you don't just walk out of here today and go, great preaching, Pastor Dan. Uh, I hope you walk out of here and go, ouch, that hurts a bit because there's some work for me to do. That's what I hope, is that you'll look at this text and you go, hmm, there's some things that I've got to look at in my own life so that I really walk in a way that's pleasing unto God, a life that's worthy of the, what we talked about last week and of the love that God gives to us unconditionally. And my response is a life of, of, of a life that gives myself to his worthiness. Make sense? So let's just go out and live in those four, with those four marks on our life. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing truth in this section of scripture. And I pray, God, that your will will be accomplished in our life, that you'll cause us to grow in every single one of these areas. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. God bless you.